your Bibles to Luke 18, and let's look at this together. So, what's this about? Um, should we just pester and badger God with what we want until he finally just gets tired of listening and gives in? Right? So, like, man, I really need a new car, God. really want the, just a cool new SUV or something, so we just pray every day. Every day, and then he's finally like, all right, all right, okay, SUV for you. Or, man, I really need a good score on my ACT, right? So we're just going to pray and pray all day, every day, and finally gets so tired of listening to us. He's like, fine, 31, done, I'm tired of this, right? Is this what, it's, what Jesus is teaching us? That a pastor once who, kind of every time we would gather to pray, he would kind of tell us this parable, that if this is true in this parable, that we should just keep bringing our requests to God, kind of keep badgering Him, right? And He'll finally give in. Well, was my pastor right to use this parable for that? Is this what it's about? It certainly looks like it up front, right? Well, let's read it together and see if we can get a little bit more context. So Luke 18, starting in verse 1. And he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So, like last week, we had a little confusion. Maybe this is a parable, maybe it's not. We know right from the outset that this is obviously a parable because Luke tells us, tells us. He told them a parable. So we got a parable here. And uh, we've got a judge who is pretty corrupt. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't respect man. Uh, he's a terrible judge. We saw that right off the bat in our parable. He yells at the old woman for crossing in front of him. And he's taking bribes. He calls them donations to the court, but it's bribes, right? He's a corrupt judge. And we hate the idea of a corrupt judge. Because this is the man that God has given to oversee justice in our land, and yet he is corrupt. So we've got a bad dude, okay? Right off the bat. Uh, And then we've got a widow. Now, in these days, when we think about a widow, we think about someone like this lady, right? An old woman with a cane, you know? But in these days, because of expectancy of life being pretty low... And because women, girls, got married when they were young teens, like 13, 14, 15, uh, it's very likely that this, this woman could be some of y'all's age. She's already a widow. Uh, so we, we don't know if she's an old woman or not, but nevertheless, she's a widow. And Jesus picked her to be a widow because other than the orphan, the widow was the most vulnerable person in Jewish society. She was the most easily taken advantage of. So what happens when 
a widow, when a woman's husband dies, the best that she can hope for, for the rest of her life, the best thing that she can hope for is that her husband has a brother who will then marry her. Because if she, has, uh, if she can then marry her husband's brother, then she now still has a family and hope for survival, hope for still food on the table. If she doesn't have, if her husband, if her dead husband doesn't have a brother, then basically she has to go back to her parents' family. And when people got married in these days, the, the bride's family would pay a sum of money to the groom's family. And when the widow came back to her own family, the bride's family would then have to, uh, or I'm sorry, the groom would have to pay the money to the bride's family, and if the, bride's fa- if the bride came back to her own family, they would have to pay back that large sum of money to the groom's family. Oftentimes, that money would be gone. They wouldn't have that money. So oftentimes, get this, widows would be sold into slavery because they wouldn't have the money, her own family wouldn't have the money to pay back to the groom's family. These are vulnerable, vulnerable people and women. So that's why Jesus picks her for his story. And not only that, we find out that she has absolutely no one because what happens? She goes to court herself. In these days, women do not go to court. A husband, a father, a son, an uncle, a cousin would go for her and speak on her behalf. But she goes by herself so that we know that she has no one. Okay? So just setting it up a little bit here. I I love how in our modern parable... They picked an African-American woman in a very southern town, right? She's being exploited, not only because she's old and a widow, but she's African-American, right? So we see this vulnerability in our movie here, and she is being taken advantage of, okay? We don't know in our parable why she's needing this restitution, why she's needing this money, but it's probably something probably similar to what we saw. Like her house is destroyed or something, and she needs justice. So it's kind of amusing then how honest the judge is. You see this? Look in uh, verse 4 and 5. He said, For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, the judge, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. So I'm not going to give her justice because I believe in God, fear God, and it's the right thing to do. And I'm not going to give her justice because she's a widow and being taken advantage of. I'm just tired of her, right? She's, she's beating me down. He's basically saying she's giving me a headache, so I want her to go away, so I'm just going to give her what she wants. This is a, a wicked guy. But then Jesus, kind of surprisingly, says in verse 6, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Listen, listen to this guy. What? what? What's this about, Jesus? Is this what God is like? Is God, should we compare God to this wicked judge who finally just relents and gives into our request because he's getting a headache by our prayers? Well, what should we say? What do we say nearly every week when we kind of ask these questions about parables? We should say that parables aren't what? Parables aren't portraits, right? They aren't perfect pictures of what God is like, or what we're like, or what the kingdom is like. They're not perfect portraits, but they're what? Yeah, not mirrors. They're kind of what? They're 
Yeah, like analogies, right? They're comparing something. So that we can learn something about God and about prayer from this judge, but it's not a perfect portrait, right? Jesus isn't painting us a perfect portrait of what God is like. He's giving us an analogy. And I think what Jesus is doing here is, again, making argument from the lesser thing to the greater thing. Remember, we've seen this over and over. Jesus, this is one of Jesus' favorite teaching tricks, right? Sermon on the Mount. If, Jesus, if God cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field, the lesser thing, then of course he's going to care for the greater thing, you, the person who's made in the image of God. So he's saying, if this wicked, unrighteous guy, this judge, is like this, where he'll finally give justice to those who need it, then how much more will your heavenly Father who loves you and who loves justice, how much more will he finally give you justice? So it's important for us to notice here that Jesus is talking about Justice. He's not talking about just any old unanswered prayer, like an SUV or an ACT score. We're talking about justice here. So, what is justice? When do we most commonly use this word, justice? Or just somebody define it for me, if we can. Yep. Make right or wrong. That's a, that's a good definition, okay? And that's the most common we use the word justice. And there's, there's really two kinds of justice. There's two kinds of the justice coin, or two sides of the justice coin. The first one is what Jonathan just said, which is retributive justice. You know, like retribution, getting what's due. So if you're a bad guy, if you steal something, then you will receive retributive justice. You will get a year in jail. Or if you murder someone, then you will get your retribution, which is either life in prison or maybe even the death penalty, right? So this is what getting like a negative judgment, right? Punishment of the guilty. And God is concerned about retributive justice. We see it all throughout, right? In Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. That is retributive justice. What we earn, what we are owed by our sin. In Isaiah Isaiah says God is coming out of his dwelling to punish the people of the earth for their sins. God is concerned about this kind of justice. But the other side of the justice coin is what we might call restorative justice, where it's being given what we need to survive, to make things right. So it consists of not a negative justice where like we're throwing people in jail, jail or like condemning to hell, but we, we, or God, are concerned like a positive justice. So like caring for the poor. We might, you might hear the word social justice, where we want to care for those who don't have what they need to survive or make it in society. So we, God is concerned about this kind of justice too. In Psalm 103, David writes that God works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. So, what kind of justice is the widow seeking here? Retributive, like retribution, making wrong or right, or restorative? Restorative, right? She just wants, she just wants a, a, what's due to her, what's, what's owed to her to make her, make, make her life right where she can live again, right? And then Jesus says the same thing. He says in verse 7 and 8, And will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. What kind of justice is Jesus saying that God will give? Restorative or retributive to his people? 
restorative, right? So why is he telling this parable? What's the, what's, what's the point of this? Well, again, remember a very important thing when you look at parables is not just to look at the 7, 8, 10 verses, just pluck it out, but look at the, what's coming before and after, the context, right? So in chapter 17, Jesus is telling his disciples, look at verse 22. He says, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. Then he starts to talk about suffering. And so why does he say to them here, there will be a time where you long to see the days of the Son of Man? Who's the Son of Man? Jesus, right? So why does he say there will be a time coming when you will long to see a day of me? It's pretty obvious. Right, so after he's gone. So after he dies, and that's what he says. He says in verse uh, 25, he says, First, he, the Son of Man, must suffer many things and be rejected by, this, by his generation. The cross. So he's saying there's going to be a time coming where I am not here with you. And then there will be days like the days of Noah and of Lot, where he's saying there's going to be persecution coming, there's going to be time of waiting. Like Noah and Lot were like, Noah's just banging on some hammer and some wood, building this giant boat. And he's like, what am I doing here? Everybody's making fun of him and persecuting him for being faithful to God. And he's what am I doing? Waiting and persecution. And what is going on? So Jesus is basically saying, hey boys, I know what you're thinking. You just heard me say that life is about to be really tough for you of waiting, of persecution, of longing to see a day of the Son of Man. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you a parable to encourage you. This is what Luke says in verse 1. Let's look at that again, 18.1. Luke tells us that he told them this parable that to the effect that they ought always pray and not lose heart. So Jesus tells them this parable to not lose heart when they're in time of need, when they're in time of waiting, waiting, of persecution, waiting for justice. So, let's look at a potential problem, though. Let's look at verse 8. Jesus says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. What's, the, what's kind of the problem here? If you were a skeptic, if you weren't a Christian and you just read, the, read this verse, what might jump out of that verse to you? Speedily, right? Jesus tells his disciples this story to prepare and encourage them that they will receive justice, but then what happens to his disciples? They wait, they wait and wait and wait, and then what happens to them? All of them, <laughs> except for John, the 11, the 11 other disciples are all martyred and killed violently. And even John didn't get off the hook as he gets dipped into boiling oil and then gets exiled off to the island of Patmos. Doesn't sound like there's much justice for these guys, right? They're all killed. But Jesus says they're going to get justice and not only get justice, they're going to get it quick. What? What's going on? Where's the justice? Our widow in this story gets justice, right? She gets it. But 
the disciples seemingly don't get justice, and then we're just kind of sitting here waiting around, like, when, when's Jesus going to return? When is he going to make things right on earth? Well, a couple of things. First thing, we want our timing to be God's timing, right? But Peter, in his book, Second Peter, he says, don't overlook this one fact, everybody, beloved. He says that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and as a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should re- reach repentance. So Peter is here is saying, you better be glad that God isn't making things right in earth and bringing justice to the whole world. Do you know why? Because if he had done that like 10 years ago, then those of you who are hoping in Jesus and have faith in him wouldn't be Christians today, right? Peter is telling us that God delays in his judgment so that all who he has called to be believers in his children will actually be adopted into his family. So we actually are thankful that God doesn't bring his justice right now because we know that tonight or tomorrow more might be gathered into his family. So we're actually thankful that his justice, justice, justice doesn't come right now because we have faith and we believe in God's goodness. And the second thing to notice in this is that justice doesn't always come in this life, right? What happened last week? What do we look at? Anybody remember the parable that we looked at last week? Yeah, and what happened? When did, when did Lazarus get justice? Yeah, after he was dead. <laughs> and we can kind of say, oh man, that kind of stinks, right? So now we just have to wait till we're dead to, to get justice? But actually, that gives us great confidence, right? We, God will ultimately make all things right in both retributive justice and punishing the wicked and restorative justice and giving his people that which they need Right? And he will do so now or he might do so later. But we trust in him and trust in his goodness. So, let's wrap this up since this was a long movie and we wanted to spend some time in our small groups. Just as the judge isn't a perfect picture of God, right? How is, how is the judge not a perfect picture of God? Yeah, he's totally wicked and corrupt, Right? So, just as he's not a perfect picture of God, the widow isn't quite a perfect picture of us either. Why might that be? Yeah, that's true, right? We're not persistent. But what about, what do we have that she doesn't? Anybody? How are we better off than the widow? We're the bride, yeah, we're the bride of Christ, okay, right? So we do have a husband, right? Remember we said that women don't go to court by themselves they, in these days. Their husband or their son or their father or their cousin go for them. Her only play, she had only one play. Her only hope was to bother and badger this judge because she knew he was corrupt and she, she knew she had no hope. But... We're better than her, right? We have someone who actually intercedes for us. We have a lawyer for us. Paul says in Romans 8 that Jesus is interceding on our behalf like a lawyer. 
saying, don't count them guilty because I have taken their sin for them. We have a lawyer interceding on our behalf. And then Jesus tells us in the book of John that the Holy Spirit is called this this big Greek word called the, the paraclete, the parakletos, which means the advocate or kind of the lawyer. The Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf. We have legal defense where this widow didn't. But it's true that just as she only had one play, she only had one hope, we only have one play and one hope too, to trust in the lawyer who's representing us, right? To trust in Jesus. Our only hope is to be found in Jesus, to be found in Christ. Or what kind of justice is actually owed to us? Retributive, right? If we don't have Jesus interceding on our behalf, we're crying out for justice, for this restorative justice, and we're saying, God, give us justice. And he says, okay, I'll give you justice. I'll give you what you're owed. I will give you retribution. I will give you the wages of your sin. And that's bad news, right? So we hope in our lawyer. We hope in our defense. We hope in Jesus. So, while we may not be in as like dire straits as this widow, sometimes we feel like we don't see justice, right? We ever, we're going to look at, in our small groups today, Psalm 73, where David is looking at the wicked around him. They're rich. They're having a great time. And he's like, why am I doing this, God? Why am I living for you? Why am I hoping in you? Why don't I just do what they're doing? Do you guys feel that sometimes? In your schools, or just you're watching TV, you're like, why don't I just live like that? Where's the justice, God? What's the point of all this? And I'm not going to answer that for you. We're going to look at that in our small groups. But, while the point of this parable might not be for us to just badger God until he relents so we get the SUV or a good ACT score, I think a very important implication for this is for us to pray. When we want, when we need God to move, when we need him to move, we pray and we trust him to. But here's the bigger problem, I think. What if you don't see yourself as the widow? I'm preaching to myself here. What if life for you is just kind of great? Kind of hunky-dory, right? No complaints, no suffering. Right? I just finished last night, finally, I finished this like 800-page book on George Washington. I know, I'm a nerd. Uh, and uh, Martha, his wife, when George died, buried two husbands, like seven grandchildren, uh, all of her kids. She outlived all of her kids. George Washington's Secretary of War, Henry Knox, he buried his second wife. And he lost nine of his 12 children. Only three children reached adulthood. So until like 50 years ago, it wasn't a question of like if you might lose a kid to death, but like when and how many, right? There was suffering. There's always been suffering. But we don't suffer, right? Don't, not really. Sometimes we do. Sometimes, I mean, we're all going to encounter it someday we're going to lose a friend to death or a parent or maybe one of our kids 
But for the most part, our life is pretty good. We don't really see ourselves as the widow needing to come and play our only play, right, of praying, of being persistent. But if you don't find yourself praying and crying out for God to move, for Him to change you, transform you, bring you out of your sin, for Him to make Himself your ultimate place of joy and satisfaction, then this is a problem. And and again, I'm preaching to myself here. I often don't find myself in persistent prayer for God to move, for Him to be my only play, my only hope. And this is an encouragement for us. It's a conviction for us to be persistent like this widow. Because if we don't, then we ultimately see ourselves as the place to fix things, right? We're going to make things right. We're going to fix things. We're going to make things better, easier, happier, more joyful. But I don't really need God to do that for me because I'll just do it myself, right? Boy, that's convicting. Definitely talking to myself here. I trust myself to bring justice, to make things better. I'm not like this persistent widow who realizes her only hope, her only play, is just to be there, to continually, persistently be there and ask this judge for justice. Okay? Boy, let's talk about it. Some good stuff here.